Uh, Super Bowl Sunday last year, uh, I got a phone call from my sister. I was in the process of preparing to have some people over to watch the same, the, 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 the Bengals play the Rams, uh, the big game that night. I was cooking, I was doing all this stuff, preparing stuff. I get a phone call from my sister. My sister had saw a, a, a deal online that basically said, because Louisiana had made sports betting illegal in, in Louisiana, right? Like, uh, she got in touch with me and she said, hey, I signed up for Caesar Sportsbooks. Um, they did a thing, they were doing this promotion that if you put up 100 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever it was, then you get X amount of dollars for quote-unquote free that you can then play for the game, right? So it was all kind of prop bets and who was going to cover and all this other stuff. The bets were like from who, who was going to win by how much to uh, who would be the first player to score a touchdown to what color the Gatorade was going to be on the coach, right? Um, like everything in between, it was all these things. And to my sister, she tells me this, and I tell her, I say, Jackie, I'm not getting involved with this because, like, me, my, my idea of, like, playing, of watching sports and then being able to bet on it from my phone, way too convenient. I know myself. I'm not getting down that rabbit hole. And her response was, I'm not calling about you. I'm calling about me. I said, really? She said, yeah, I'm calling to get some advice because she was jumping in and ready to bet. So we talked for probably about 20 minutes, and I gave her some good ideas, and she's saying, well, I'm going to pick this. And I said, no, you shouldn't do that because this is the cornerback on that guy. I was all the boring stuff. I was basically her encyclopedia. At the end of the day, at the end of the game, my sister had walked away with a total of $700 because she took my advice. Now, my advice is free. You can let me know if you want to give to the church. Good job, right? But... What happened at the end of it was she said, hey, the next day I get a phone call from her and she says, hey, um, so I can't cash out my money. I said, this is how they get you. She said, I have to now re-bet it. And I said, okay. So now we start talking about all these different ideas of what she should bet on. And football season's over. She knows nothing about any other sport except that she likes baseball and like the Astros. That's it. So she's trying to figure out, like, who's going to be the NBA MVP, and she tried to discover this weird sport known as hockey, and, like, all these kind of things were going on, and she has no idea about anything. And finally, she said, what should I bet on? I said, I have an idea. I said, two conditions. I said, number one, you never tell anybody I said this. And now I'm saying it in a homily, so that one's going, right? Number two, you don't tell dad, or I'm going to kill you. She said, what's the bet? I said, click on college football. She clicked on college football. I said, scroll down to national championship odds. She clicks on national championship odds. I said, put most of your money on Alabama. Now, in my family, in my household, that would have been enough to get written out of the will. <laughs> but, my sister, she... She, she, she bets and whatever, and I, I, now these bets are sitting there, and she's never going to know what, what she's, she's waiting to get paid out on it. But it was funny that my first reaction in this was, do not tell dad, because dad's going to kill me if he knows that I did this, right? The reason why I bring that up is because we find some weird division and weird rivalry over some really stupid stuff in our culture. I think we find a way to kind of to be divisive over really stupid things in our culture. In today's gospel, when Jesus is talking about this, he, 
it's such a striking image that he uses at the end. A household of five will be divided. Three against two, two against three. A son against his dad and a dad against his son. A mom against her daughter and a daughter against her mom. A mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. When I was reading this for the first time, preparing for this weekend, I could not help but think, Jesus has been sitting at Thanksgiving dinner for every one of us. Because there seems to always be division that finds its way into families. Especially when, I know in my family, that one aunt walks through the door. And you know who I'm talking about. She's going to say something a little bit outlandish. She's going to talk a little, she's going to be a little bit too opinionated about her politics. She's going to be a little bit too opinionated about what everybody else should be doing. She's that aunt. And she's typically divisive. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know if we got that person in our family. You're probably her. The reason why I bring that up, though, is because we can be divisive over really, really dumb things. Things that are not important at all. But Jesus is saying today, what Jesus is getting at today, is that He is saying that proclaiming the Gospel in all of its truth, proclaiming the Gospel in all of its truth, is divisive. We don't think about Jesus in that way. As he says, right? You think I've come to establish peace on the earth. You're known as the Prince of Peace. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. But he says, I did not come to, set, to put peace, not worldly peace, not everybody be nice and play nice and be okay, peace. But he said division. Because what he's calling us to is being able to proclaim our faith in all of its truth, in all of its fullness. And that worldview, oftentimes, is at odds with the culture. Jesus went through it himself. What, did Jesus, what, what was it that Jesus over and over did, repeatedly throughout the Gospel, throughout his, throughout his life, these different episodes that we see over and over and over again, we hear it every Sunday, that he's taking to task some of the religious elite. He's saying your sacrifices aren't good enough. He's saying that you, you waste your time with the small details. You waste your time with all these small things and instead you don't pay attention to the good, to the bigger picture. You're, you're like tombs. He's called, he tells this to some of the religious elite. You're like tombs. On the outside, beautiful and whitewashed, but on the inside, full of death. Jesus was not afraid of being divisive. He didn't beat people over the head with it. He didn't shame people into things. But He challenged people when they needed to be challenged. And He found at the end of His life, He's living and setting that high bar of what it means to be a Christian. And it ultimately would cost His life. Because Jesus was, for the world standard, a little bit too divisive. Our first reading today, one of God's prophets, Jeremiah. We hear that Jeremiah, is, it, Jeremiah has been sent by God to be his mouthpiece to the people of Israel, to the kingdom of Israel. He says, if you don't stop doing these things, you're gonna fall, we're going to fall. The kingdom of Israel is going to fall. It's going to become nothing. A hard message from God. 
And the prophet goes and proclaims it. And it was such a popular message that today in our first reading, what do we hear? That he gets thrown into a well so that they could shut him up. Because the message of God is not easy. The life of virtue is not easy. And the bar for a Christian is a high bar. See, there's a lie that, we, that, that I think our culture and even some of us as Christians may come to believe sometimes. If we're ever confronted with the question of are you going to heaven, there are a lot of times I've heard this said where people will respond with two things. Well, I'm a nice person and I haven't killed anybody. Is that the bar that we live our Christianity at? Just be a nice person and don't kill anybody and I'll probably get into heaven. If it is, that's a sad low bar. That's not the bar that Christ set. That's not the bar that Jeremiah proclaimed and preached. That's not the bar that the saints have continued over the ages for thousands of years now to show and to reveal as the way to live. We don't have to go that far back. One, one saint in particular today, August 14th, would be his feast day. St. Maximilian Colby. One, one, he, he showed in a very, very profound and powerful way how it is that we are called as Christians to live a high bar. St. Maximilian Colby, just a little bit about his life if you don't know his story. He was a monk in Poland. He was a Polish monk. He was a Franciscan. They, at their, at their monastery... Their, 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 um, their charism, the way that they would, they would show God's action in the world, they would make God present in the world, is they were involved with media, the media of the day. It was the early 1900s, the first half of the 19th century, I mean the 20th century, um, and in Poland at the time, it was right around the time of the Nazi occupation. The Nazis were absolutely amazing at their propaganda brainwashing the general public into hating Jews, to hating the Catholics, being able to exterminate masses amounts of people and no one batted an eye, no one really cared. But Colby and his monks saw what was going on, saw the propaganda machine, and spoke against it. Directly and loudly. So much so that it would cost him being arrested, and thrown into Auschwitz concentration camp. The best of the death factories of the Nazi regime. At one point, while he was in Auschwitz, there was a prisoner that escaped, was able to run to freedom. And why wouldn't you? It was hell on earth. Just enough food to keep you alive, wooden bunks in barracks that were overcrowded, living in your own sewage and filth, not a shower to be seen. One prisoner was able to make it out. And the Nazis, as a way of intimidation, said, okay, well, then one left, so we're going to kill ten. So they read off ten, ten people by number. And the last one, when they read his name, he was a father and a husband, and he broke down crying in the line as he, as he was called forward. 
begging for his life, hoping that one day he might be able to see his daughter, his family, his wife and his family again. Colby, when he saw this, stepped out of line, which would have been enough of a death sentence, usually would have been met with a bullet, walked to the guard, and with the fierceness of the gospel in his eyes, said, I will take this man's place. There were some eyewitnesses from Auschwitz that said it was as if he was ten feet tall and an intimidating presence. The guard folded and said, sure, you can take his place. They were thrown into a starvation chamber and nine of them died before Colby. All nine died before Colby. And while he was there, he was hearing confessions and singing Marian hymns loud enough so, the, so that the guards could hear him. And when he would just not die, they killed him with a lethal injection. Now why do I bring up his story is because in a powerful way, the bar of Christianity is made present in his life. He was once said that the poison of our age is indifference. And while, yes, his martyrdom in, in Auschwitz is a powerful and inspiring and beautiful story, he proved himself that he was willing to live a Christian ideal, the Christian high bar, before, whenever they were, going, when they were preaching anti-propaganda and trying to pull back the curtain on how evil the Nazis were. He wouldn't stand aside and watch, even if the mainstream culture was going to hell. For us as Christians, we're called to not be indifferent. And dare I say, we're called to be a little bit divisive for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the truth. So as we come to Mass tonight, let this not be just a nice Mass where we come and we, we hear some good music and we get our Jesus and we go home. But instead, especially at the beginning of a semester, at the beginning of this new season in our, our church and on our campus, let this be a moment of commissioning where we come to our Lord to receive our marching orders, if you will. That we would be sent out to build the kingdom of God that we would be sent out with the boldness and the courage to be able to proclaim the gospel in all of its truth, in all of its glory. That we would be sent out not to, not to go and be on a crusade and, and beat people over the head with the gospel, but that we would be on a crusade of love to let them know how much it is that God desires them and wants to know them because we have experienced it ourselves. The Lord is calling all of us to be His advocates. All of us to be His voice. Especially in a culture that is going to continue down the road it is, whether we like it or not. Our Christian culture does not match up well with the culture, with our mainstream culture today. But they need what we have. May today we as disciples, as foot soldiers, as those commissioned by God by virtue of our baptism and confirmation, may we go out being ready to proclaim the, proclaim the truth of the Gospel. The high bar that it is. As we strive to live it, may we also challenge others to live it as well. May we go out armed with the love of our Father, guiding and protecting us.
when we're sent out at the end of Mass. I say this all the time, and I'll continue to bang this drum. Go and proclaim the Gospel of the Lord is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's the last action of our church, of our worship, is that what we have received, we now go and use. We now go and proclaim. And tonight, we take that command seriously so that we may go and proclaim and build the kingdom of God. Amen.